the children can go to their service in the back during this time. And like I said last week, let's pray for them as we are here studying the Word of God, um, but also for the children and the teachers studying the Word of God back there, um, that the, the kids will start to learn and grow in their faith journey, um, just like we started out. Uh, whenever you started off your journey of faith, you probably started as a little child-like faith, even if you were an adult. You started with that little faith. And now look at you, probably you have expanded your growth and your learning in the Lord and the gospel and the, and, and the word of God. Um, can you see a growth in your life from that childlike faith when you first started to now? Anybody? Can you give a hearty like, you're excited about your growing faith or something like that? Because <laughs> when I learn something or grow in an area, I'm like, man, that's exciting. Because I was like this, and now I'm like this. Much better, much healthier, spiritually wise. Um, because when I was a 12-year-old little boy, getting baptized, I didn't know anything. I knew stories and stories and stories from you know, Bible school and went to a Christian school all my life. And I learned the stories, yes. But then when you're like actually learning and growing spiritually and not just knowing things, you're like, it's exciting. Sometimes you're like, it's hard, but it's exciting and rewarding. And hopefully we're passing it on to others. Just like today, Grandparents Day, are we passing it down to the next generation? Are we learning from the older generation? Um, so it's exciting to me. And this, as you see the title of the sermon, Jesus came for good people. Jesus came for sinners. Sinners. I'm a sinner. Are you a sinner? Jesus came for sinners. And we're going to learn from this passage in Mark, I hope, a lot that encourages you because it encouraged me as I studied and as I prayed and as I just learned and reflected and grew in my faith this past week. So let's pray before we get started and into the Word of God in Mark chapter 2. God, thank you so much for today and the opportunity to learn from your Word today. I pray that we would have open ears to hear what you have for us. Open eyes to see the world around us like you see it. And open hearts to obey the gospel message and the good news, and what we've learned in Mark so far, to go fish for people. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to Mark chapter 2. If you haven't turned there already and you have a Bible and you want to turn there, go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 2. It's on page 859 in my Bible. I don't know about yours, but you can try 859 if you want, but if it's not there, look somewhere else. Mark chapter 2. Remember, we just finished Jesus healing a leper. He touched him. And he says, don't tell anybody, go to the priest and do the ceremonial cleaning. But he told everybody, right? He went out and told everybody. And then Jesus could no longer, in chapter 1, verse 45, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. 
Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So even though he was in these lonely places, who's still coming to him? Everybody. (laughs) Or people. Still found Jesus. I don't know how that was. I don't know if somebody found him first and kind of said, gave another runner and said, hey, run back, tell them where they are so people can come see Jesus. I don't know what it looked like, but people still came to him from everywhere. And then you get to chapter 2. So that's where we're going to pick up chapter 2. But before we read this, I want to ask you a couple questions. First one, where do you feel most comfortable? Another way to put it, where do you go to find the most comfort? Have you answered that in your mind or out loud? Um, Does somebody have an answer in their mind? Do you all have an answer? I hope you answer, but I believe that most people will say, at home. I believe that, I hope. Maybe 90% of the time, if you ask somebody, where do you feel most comfortable? Maybe they'll say 90% of the time, at home. I do. I feel most comfortable when I'm at home. And we're going to see that in this passage right away. I want you to listen to it as we read it. But I looked up the definition in Merriam-Webster, the favorite dictionary of the world, right? It defines at home, actually. It says at home, and it gives a definition of at home, which I thought was interesting. The definition is relaxed and comfortable, at ease. I do that at home. I feel relaxed. I feel comfortable, and I'm at ease when I'm at home. Listen to this, verse 1. Are you ready? Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, so he's with his disciples in lonely places, and after a few days, he entered Capernaum again. The people heard that he had come, what? What? He come home. He had come home. Does anybody remember what Capernaum means? The village of comfort Jesus the people hear that he had come home a few other translations say he is at home Jesus is home according to Mark chapter 2 verse 1 some people say this is the home that he was in in chapter 1 where he healed Simon's mother-in-law so it could have been Simon and Andrew's house But he's at home. The village of comfort. He comes back and he's at home. And let's pick it up again. Here, chapter 2, verse 2. So he's at home. And this is such a powerful verse right here. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. That's a lot of people. I don't know about you, but I have never experienced that at my own home, that there's no room even at the door for people to come. I've never experienced it. I hope to one day, maybe. But I've never experienced it. Where you go to a place, and there's no room even at the door to go in. 
There's so many people. Can you picture that in your mind? Remember I talked about imagination a few weeks ago? Can you imagine that? Just imagine today, if you pulled up in your car, there was no parking spots, there was people just lined up at the door, and in here was full, and the rooms were full, and the classrooms were full, and outside was full, and you're like, how am I going to get in? Could you imagine that? I couldn't. But I can right now. I'm like imagining it. What if you came to church? What if I walked outside my door before I even got here, there was a ton of people ready to go in? I'd just be like, uh, what do we do? But Jesus is in the house. Jesus is at home. He's comfortable. He's ready. If you're taking notes, I don't have them on the board, but point number one And we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. But point number one is this. Before we get into these, I want you to understand what understand means. It means to grasp the meaning of. So, I want you to understand four things today. Really grasp the the meaning of these things. Number one, understand that faith is much more than mere trust or belief. It involves action. And if you remember from our James series, our faith determines our actions and attitudes. Now let's look at chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Listen to this. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Four friends are carrying their friend on a mat to Jesus. I don't know what this looks like, But I don't know if the man on the mat said, hey friends, pick me up, we're going to go to Jesus. I need to get to Jesus. Or the four friends had so much faith, they're like, friend, we're carrying you to Jesus, we're going. We know where he's at, he's at home, let's go. According to Mark, I really believe that all five of these men, their faith was so powerful. Some people I've read, some people I've listened to were like, well, the paralyzed man only had faith and said kind of, hey friends, pick me up, let's go to Jesus. And the friends were like, ah, we don't want to, there's too many people, let's stay here, wait till tomorrow. And I'm like, no, because what happens in verse number five? When Jesus, who? Jesus. Now this is a scene you got to imagine too, dirt's flying everywhere, coming off of the ceiling. People are like, what's going on? And now there's this man coming down on a mat in front of Jesus. I don't know how they found the exact spot Jesus was, but according to Mark, it, it's, they're going to get him to Jesus. And Jesus, remember, they're on a roof, and Jesus saw their faith. How many people is T-H-E-I-R? How many? More than one, right? Jesus saw their 
faith. He looked at the five of them, the man, the man, the paralyzed man coming down at his feet. He saw him, but he was looking at the four up there on the roof. And combined to these five, he saw their faith. That is powerful. He just saw their faith. Understand that faith is much more than mere trust or belief. It involves action. Remember, they had to go through a crowd. I don't know where they came from, but they were trying to get to a house. I don't know how big the house was. But they look and they're like, there's a ton of people. How are we going to get this par- my, our friend on this mat through this crowd to the house to get to Jesus? And then when they get through the crowd, people are probably like, what are you doing? I'm trying to get to the same place. And they're pushing people out of the way. I can only imagine. They're like, we have a paralyzed friend here. Can you make room, please? And they're rushing through the crowd. And they get to the house and they're like, man, we can't even get to the door. How are we going to get through this door to get to Jesus? Because we know he's here. He's at home. He's comfortable in there. And homes in that day, they have outside stairs to the roof. They find the stairs. They go up. I don't know why there wasn't people on the stairs. Maybe there was. They get to the roof. What do they do? They start digging and digging and digging. And then the man is lowered down and Jesus says, I see your faith. It involves action. A lot of it. The effort these friends make to get their friend to Jesus is such a wonderful picture of do we invite sinners we're going to learn this too do we tell people hey come learn about jesus he's in the house come worship him and come learn about him he's going to do some amazing things because look what jesus does son oh man what a familiar term or a endearing term that you would hear remember the paralyzed man probably has never heard this word for a long time if he was sitting by the gate begging or just sitting at his house, probably nobody mentioned this name to him in a while, son. And Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Point number two. Understand that our deepest need is for our sins to be forgiven. The man and his friends want to get to Jesus to do what? To get healed. He wants to walk because he's probably heard Jesus has healed many people from various diseases. And he's like, I need to get to Jesus. He can do something. But what's the first thing Jesus does? Son, your sins are forgiven. When you ask for forgiveness from Jesus, and he says, You're forgiven. What a statement. I don't know the man's reaction. Because remember, he got there, he wanted to be healed of walking. He wanted to walk. But understand that our deepest need is for our sins to be forgiven. That's the deepest need. Somebody comes to you with a problem and they don't realize that they're a sinner and they don't, they don't understand that. Get to the deeper problem. I need to do that with some of my relationships. 
What's the deepest problem in your life? Sin. It's the deepest problem in my life, your life, everybody's life. That's the root problem we've got to get to. And Jesus, right away, says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's move on. Point number three, understand this. Understand that proclaiming the good news, the gospel message, is important. You look at chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus is in the house. There's a crowd of people. Not even enough room to get inside the door. And what is Jesus doing? He's preaching the Word to them. And if you, we've studied Mark chapter 1 together. What's Jesus' message? What's His message? Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is here. Repent. What do you got to repent of? Sin. And believe the good news, the gospel message which Jesus is proclaiming. And he doesn't explicitly say it, but he's like, um, it's me. We'll see that later. It's me. You got to believe in the good news of Jesus, the Savior of the world. But you got to repent of your sins. Jesus is there proclaiming the word to them. Go to chapter 2, verse 13. Look at later on. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. He's always preaching and teaching. Yes, he's also healing people. But Jesus came to spread the good news about himself. Repent and believe the good news. Understand that proclaiming the good news is important. Remember a few weeks ago, fish for people, right? I'll make you fish for people. What do we have to cast out so we can fish for people? The gospel message. So let's be proclaiming the gospel message to those around us, even in our own households. Proclaim the gospel. Look at verse 17. I know we're not reading it all, but you're getting pictures here that Jesus is coming for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. He looked at the paralyzed man. Your sins are forgiven. And then the story here, we'll pick it up at verse 14, okay? And then we'll get our point here. As he walked along, he saw Levi. The son of Alphaeus. One interesting thing a writer said, Mark got his um, account from Peter and his witness. Peter mentions names and specifically names, like Levi, son of Alphaeus. Who would know that if you weren't a, an acquaintance of Matthew or Levi here? Same person. Peter has a way with Word, or names. He mentions names. And you'll see that in Mark as we go through Mark. There's specific people in there. You're like, who would know that? But Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And if you know anything about tax collectors in that day, they were not liked very much. They had to take taxes, but they probably took for themselves too. They stole money. He sees Levi sitting at 
the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus looks at Levi, the tax collector, and says, Hey, Levi, follow me. I just picture Jesus saying, I want you to follow me. I need you, Levi. And Levi got up and followed him. And then he invites Jesus to his house. Hey, come have dinner with me and some of my friends. Our last point here, look at this. Understand that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, came for all people, sinners. We looked at it, son, your sins are forgiven. The paralyzed man was a sinner. The four friends were sinners. The crowd around them were sinners. He gets to Levi, who's a sinner, and says, follow me. He goes and eats with tax collectors and sinners. But the teachers of the law say, what are you doing? Hey, disciples of Jesus, why are, is your rabbi, your teacher eating with these people? You're not supposed to be eating with these people if you're a rabbi. That's what they're saying. And Jesus hears this upon hearing this. He also, the Teachers of the law made a big deal about only God can forgive sins, and Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, hey, I am God, basically. I could do this because I'm God. And we're going to look at um, one of the main verses I want to emphasize at the end. We're going to look at that later. But here, Jesus hears what they say and says this little short kind of wise saying, and it's powerful. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick, do you go to the doctor if you're healthy? I try to stay, if I'm not sick, I don't want to go to the doctor. Because they take money. But if you're sick, you need to go to the doctor, right? Especially if you're really sick. And then you go get checked up and you see what's wrong in your physical body. But he says, the healthy don't need a doctor but the sick. He doesn't stop there. He says, I have not come to call the righteous. Who's he talking to here? The righteous Pharisees. The righteous teachers of the law. I can only imagine if Jesus, he hears what they said to his disciples and he looks at them and with this little wise kind of parable type thing. He says, the doctor, you don't go to the doctor if you're healthy. You go when you're sick. And they're like, I get that, yeah. But then he says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. These teachers of the law, they thought they were righteous. They were righteous. They followed the law. They taught the law. They had students that, they, that were maybe following the law just like they taught them. 
but they didn't understand that they were sinners. And Jesus said, I haven't come to call, I haven't come to call you. <laughs> I've come to call sinners. Sinners. The word righteous is of those who seem to themselves to be righteous, who pride themselves on their virtues, whether real or imaginary. Sinners means not free from sin. So these righteous law teachers are saying, I'm righteous. I follow the law. I pride myself in this type of living. And the sinners, the tax collectors that Jesus are, is eating with, Levi and his friends, and the disciples who he's called already, James, John, Simon, Andrew, they're sinners, right? And they're eating at the house, and the sinners are not free from sin. They, they understand that, I believe. But these righteous people are like, Jesus, you can't tell me that. Here's a, here's a rhetorical question. We don't have people like that today, do we? I'm better than you. Look, who I, look what I do in the day. I'm righteous. Who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner? But understand that Jesus came for all people sinners. One translation says, but sinners to repentance. What was Jesus speaking in his message? Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. And I want to end with this wonderful, the best verse of this section. My favorite verse of this section. They're all good, but this one is amazing because you'll see why. Because it says amazed in it. Okay? Verse 12. This is after they discuss, like, who can forgive sins but, but God? And Jesus says, I'll prove it, basically. This is my proof I can forgive this man's sins. Verse 12, Jesus got up, or he got up, the man was healed. Jesus said, take up your mat and go home. Oh, go home, comfort, ease. The paralyzed man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Remember, he just came in on a mat, lowered in the roof, and now people are seeing him walk away. This amazed everyone. Would you be amazed? I would. But look what Mark says. This amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. When a sinner comes to repentance, do we exclaim that? When somebody comes to Jesus and says, I'm a sinner, I need to be forgiven, and Jesus is the only way, and we experience them get baptized and they're raised to a new life, do we exclaim that? We have never seen anything like this. Who gets the glory and praise when lives are changed by Jesus? Who gets the glory? 
God. Not us. They praise God because they've never seen anything like this. His sins are forgiven first, and then Jesus is like, I'll prove it. Get up, go home. Where you probably haven't been in a while, go home. Rob Lacey puts it this way Everyone sees it and gives the credit to God. If you see a miracle happen or you see something happens in your life that only God can do, do you give credit to God? Or do you say, oh, that was just coincidence? When I share things that happened in the week and, and, and how God just put things together, my mom, when she was in town, said, Keith, you just have that way of like everything happens for like God's just putting all these pieces and you look in a book you haven't looked in and then you look at that verse and that you're preaching on. I can only say, I mean, God's good. Every moment is holy. I have a book like titled that. And I really believe that every moment is holy. Don't miss an opportunity to say, God, you put me here for a reason. You did this for a reason. You brought this person into my life for a reason. And then when something happens, we have never seen anything like this. Even if you have seen something like you can still say it. We've never seen anything like this. The disciples have seen many things so far. But it says everyone. So I'm thinking the disciples are saying this too. It's a new to them. So in a way of invitation, repentance is needed first. And Jesus came for you, a sinner. And then you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And remember, trust, faith means trust or confidence, whether in God or Christ, springing from faith in the same. So you are having faith in Jesus. And then when Jesus saves you, you have faith to go put it into action. Jesus came for you, came for me, came for the whole world. Because what does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus said from this passage, I came for sinners. So if you need to repent, believe in Jesus as your Savior. Go down in the grave of baptism with Jesus. But Jesus didn't stay there. You're raised from the dead. You're raised out of that sin, dead life to a new life in Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're like, whew, this is exciting. And then I'm going to explain, we have never seen anything like this. It would be wonderful. It would be wonderful if something like that happened today. So let's pray. God, 
Jesus went home to Capernaum and he exclaimed, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, Go take up your mat and walk. Go home. And then he called Levi. Then he ate with tax collectors and sinners and people were like, What are you doing? And Jesus said, I came for sinners. God, the gospel message is Jesus came for us. I pray that we would understand that. That we would grasp the meaning of it. And when we see people, we see them through your eyes, made in your image. And we say, I got some good news for you. Let's talk about it. And then when we see sinners come to repentance and believe in Jesus and start living a new life in Christ, we will say, whew, I've never seen anything like this. God, help us. Help us, help us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand as we sing Amazing Love.